0: Yeah, you saw it on your bulletin. We're in this uh, series called The Majors, and we're trying to uh, distill for ourselves the things that make us Christian, trying to help us understand what uh, we believe and and what we should hold to. Uh, In the early church, they didn't have books and the Internet and all those things to to teach those things, and so uh, they would write down uh, a collection of ideas. They were called creeds. There's a whole bunch of them, Uh, but we're studying one in particular called the Apostles' Creed. It's from the Apostles' Creed that we're pulling Uh, these majors that we're talking about. A couple things we need to know about the creed. The creed is not Scripture. Uh, We are not quoting, as we will be in just a moment, uh, things from Scripture. We're just uh, quoting a collection of ideas that are rooted in Scripture. If the Scripture is the sun, the creeds are the moon. They aren't the light itself, but they are the reflectors of that light. We also need to know that the creeds serve a very important purpose and, and us talking about the majors is really important because in the world that we live in, it is so easy to slide into error. Has anybody in here ever been wrong? Okay, then you know what I'm talking about. You've per- you probably didn't purpose to be wrong. You didn't set out that morning to just believe the wrong things about whatever it is that you were wrong in, but uh, we are fallible. We are easily duped, prone to wander, the hymn says. And so um, We need things that bring us back to right. Uh, We need uh, these creeds, these majors to center ourselves on so that when we, uh, as was the case in the early church, the creeds were almost always a response to wrong ideas. Certain heresies would pop up in the church and the church fathers would be like, well, we got to figure that out. So let's uh, issue this creed, collect these ideas and make them part of the liturgy, part of the church practice so that they can know them too and not fall into these errors that are so prevalent. Still errors today, everybody agree? Yeah, just send a search for Jesus into the uh, internet and see what you come back with. You know, it gets all, all kinds of ideas, everybody's got an opinion, uh, but we take ours uh, from what the Bible says as collected here in, these, in this creed. Um, we also wanna make sure that we uh, <laughs> agree on the things that are most important to agree on and we learn to disagree on the things that don't matter. Like, I I love our church for lots of reasons, uh, but I love the fact that we are a collection of so many um, backgrounds, so many different um, uh, traditions have landed here, you know? Uh, Anybody here grow up Catholic? Okay, hi, hi guys, how's it going? Uh, Anybody here grow up in a more charismatic church, like an assembly of God or Pentecostal church? Yeah, I know about you here. Anybody here grow up Baptist, angry or otherwise? Yeah? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's all kinds of traditions, and we all land here in the black chairs, uh, the soft, cushy black chairs, uh, because we have determined that even though we come from the things that we come from and have maybe different slants on different um, you know, pieces of the faith, we agree on the things that matter most. Churches don't always do that. Uh, some churches overemphasize you know, the little nits and the minutia of faith. And they make that what it's all about as opposed to the things uh, that it should be all about. Uh, they're going to be surprised when they get to heaven and they're in line next to the people that they're next to. What? How did you get in? You didn't believe the right thing about this or that. St. Augustine uh, probably said it as well as anybody when he said in the church, in the essentials, unity. In the majors, in the things that matter most, we seek unity. We die on those battlefields together together. Uh, Because without the things that are essential, we have no faith. But in the non-essentials, liberty. Everybody slow down. Everybody back up. Love anyway, right? And then in all things, Augustine says, in all things, charity or love. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So just as we would stand for our anthem or our pledge of allegiance, will you one more time today stand with me as we say this pledge? To our Savior and to what we believe, it's the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from which he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Thank you very much, have a seat. Has anybody ever read something like that in church and said I believe in these things but I don't know what they are? The emails have already started to flow in. Wait a minute, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church? or the, yeah. Uh, It's a small c there, it means universal. We believe that Jesus descended into hell. Come come back on that one, we'll we'll, we'll talk about all of these things. Uh, But we're seeking to understand these majors that have been collected here in these Apostles' Creed and uh, to own them for ourselves. So, last week we started on the all important first line there, I believe. We talked about belief being more than just this mental ascent, it's this all in, giving of oneself to these things that we say that we believe. But then uh, we talked about God the Father, almighty, he's all-powerful, God the Father, the creator of heaven and the earth. Uh, We're going to move on now, as we will each subsequent week, into these next lines and discover what we find there. The line that we're going to cover this morning is, I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about Jesus, uh, and we're going to start with these uh, ideas as listed here. Let me start, first of all, with uh, the qualifiers. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Um, At conception, we see here in the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit being the the, the progenitor, the one who brings forth his earthly existence um, uh, through a a woman that we know to be Mary. Uh, Jesus has always existed. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon, Uh, but in his human life, uh, he was brought about, not by another man, but by God himself through the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1. Let's go to Christmas. It says, and the angel speaking to Mary said to Mary, uh, wakes her up from a dead sleep, by the way. Has anybody ever been woken up by a bright, shiny person in a uh, room that you were sleeping in? So it's probably a jarring experience. Can we all agree? So the, the, the angel understandably says to Mary, do not be afraid uh, because you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Mary, upon, you know, collecting her wits to the point where she can actually form a sentence, chooses an interesting one. I would have been like, what are you doing in my room? Uh, Why are you so bright? Can you tone it down? You know, something like that. (laughs) My eyes. Uh, But she goes right to the source of his message. She's like, excuse me, what did you just say? Uh, did you just say I'm going to be pregnant? Uh, I'm not sure how that could be possible, angel sir. Uh, How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary had been to health class. She understands how this works. Uh, It's not storks dropping babies off at doorsteps. If there will be a baby, there will have to be a mommy and a daddy somewhere in this process. How is this possible that me at the age of maybe 13, 14, 15 years of age, me who has uh, never been near another man, they didn't date back then. There wasn't, you know, texting back and forth and, you know, uh, meeting at the mall. That's like 20 years old. Anyway, uh, uh, there, there wasn't anything like that. You were betrothed, chosen by your parents to be married to another person, another man, and, and that was it. You would uh, most of the time meet your husband on the day you married him, ladies. How's it going? So she's like, I haven't even had a date. Uh, I haven't even, you know, rubbed knuckles with a dude. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> how is it possible that I'm going to be with child? Understandable question. So the angel answers her. And the angel says to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is how you're going to have a baby. God's going to make it so. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of the Most High Will overshadow you. This is a Greek word that basically means um, come upon or or hover over. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, and he will be the Son of God. You're going to have God's son, Mary. That's how this can be possible. The Holy Spirit is going to enable your pregnancy. Now, where have I where have I read this overshadowing or this hovering aspect or? Uh, you know, part of, of the Holy Spirit's existence. Well, it's on page one of your books, right? Because in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Who's heard that one before, right? And then it goes on and it says, the earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was what? Hovering. He, he's hovering over the, uh, this formless and, and shapeless void and he's, he's about to be with the father and with the son, a part of creation, of everything that we are and everything that we see. It was God's idea and brought about uh, by God uh, in Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit, as other (laughs) creeds were written, is is basically the agent uh, of, of life coming into being. The Nicene Creed says that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. As we move forward to the Greek language's understanding of the spirit, the, the Greek word for Holy Spirit or spirit is pneumatos. Uh, but the Greek word for breath is pneuma. And so lots of times you have to like you know, discern the context to see what the biblical writers were actually referring to. Was he talking to pneuma or Holy Spirit, pneuma? And you would translate accordingly. It's no wonder then, and then on the second page of your Bibles, as uh, human beings are coming into existence, um, it's seen here that the Lord God formed the man from dust of the ground and then breathed <sighs> Numa into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. See, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, hovers and creates and brings life from nothing, from the dust God formed us. And breathe. That's why we sing the song. Uh, and it's, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Yeah. God, by the Spirit, made us, gave us life. Didn't take long, though, for us to take all that God had given us and, and, and for us to mess it up. Turn one more page in your books, and we see this first Adam. I call him that for a reason. Stay, stay with me. And his wife, Eve. Um, committing the first sin. They basically said, no, God, we're going to do it our way. Uh, they had been tempted. They had been duped by God's adversary, Satan. But, but in the same way that you and I know better and do anyway, uh, there they went and sin came into the world. Uh, what, a, what, what a horrible, calamitous experience. I mean, think about it. This was the most hopeful However long it was, from sin one until God comes into the garden and starts talking, uh, conferring the punishments, there is no hope for humanity. But God in his love and his grace and his mercy, even as he's doling out the consequences, brings hope back to a hopeless situation because he he says to the snake, hey, just so you know, there will be one who comes. This is Genesis 3.15. There will be one who comes. From this woman, this wicked, sinful woman and her descendants, there will be one that comes from her that will crush your head. There's going to be one who comes who will reverse the curse that has occurred because sin has entered the world. We know that one to be Jesus. And in the story of Christmas, in the same way that the Spirit hovered and breathed life into the first Adam, God in the Spirit hovers or overshadows Mary and breathes life into the second Adam. His name is Jesus, the one who has come to right what the first Adam made wrong. Now, we understand that the Holy Spirit uh, is the conceiver of uh, Jesus, and Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. And I remember growing up in the house that my family rented. We were this angry Baptist pastor at a, you know, a church there and, uh, but we rented a house from a very Roman Catholic family and so I remember going out into our backyard and there was Mary like five foot statue of her right there I'm like you know who's she? And she's like well that's Mary. I said well, why we got a statue of her? He says so you can throw your tennis ball at her. No that's not true. Anyway uh, <laughs> I did I, I, I did play wiffle ball uh, you know with my dog out there and I did foul a couple off of Mary. I'll just confess that right now. <laughs> Mary, uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, uh, above women in the fact that she was given the opportunity to be the mother of the Son of God. Uh, We don't always agree with uh, some of our Catholic friends and the things that they believe about Mary and her significance uh, to our faith. But certainly, she is to be esteemed. But the thing that we draw most from her and her story is that she... Is the bearer of God's Son in a miraculous way. The Christian faith is rooted in the miraculous. Does everybody agree with me on this? This is a big deal because if you can't get your head around miracles, if you can't allow yourself to step outside of science and the empirical method and if you can't believe that there are things beyond what we can understand, things that we cannot explain, then Christianity is going to be a hard thing for you. and, and this is where a lot of times people who grow up in the faith and then go get exposed at higher you know, levels of learning to science and to the ones who believe in science, this is where they step off. They're like, well, I can't believe in the miracles anymore. And then Jesus falls away with that. This, this miracle uh, is, is, is a miracle of all birth miracles. Lots of birth miracles in the Bible, Right? Like you start out in Genesis and there's this guy Abraham uh, who is, uh, you know uh, encountered by God and he says, hey Abraham, your descendants are gonna number like the, uh, the sands on the shores. You're gonna be the one that I'm going to bring forth a blessing for the whole earth. Again, a little tip of the hat to Jesus and his coming from uh, the Jewish uh, race. But <laughs> Abraham's got this one problem. He doesn't have kid one. Uh, he's later on in life, his wife has never, Sarah, has never been able to bear him a son uh, and another time, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, Yeah, you're going to have this baby. And Abraham's listening politely outside the tent and back inside the tent. His wife, Sarah, laughs. <laughs> well, that was kind of maniacal. Sorry for that. Uh, but she giggles at the thought of being this you know, woman in her 90s, bearing a child. Ladies, picture yourself, first of all, in your 90s. 90s, way to go if you get there, right? But then secondly, picture yourself pregnant. In your 90s, not something that occurs. Well, Sarah was like, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, in fact, Abraham and Sarah didn't believe. And if you read their story, they try to work around. That's a lot of human stories, right? We're going to work around what God says. And so they actually hire a surrogate of sorts. Uh, he takes a, uh, Sarah's hand servant and uh, has a baby uh, with her, Ishmael. And that's a whole other story. Come back another week. But then eventually, just as God said, uh, Sarah conceives. Isaac is born. Isaac is the Hebrew word for laughter, right? Every time she called him for dinner, she was reminded never to laugh at what God says will be. And then you go forward in the story, and you get to the book of Samuel. First Samuel tells us the story of of a lady named Hannah, and she's barren as well, and she can't have kids, and so she prays and says, listen, if you give me a kid, if you just give me one son, I will give him... Uh, to you, and he'll serve you in your temple. And that's what happens. And Samuel is born, and he goes on to be the character and the prophet that he was an amazing man of God. You get even towards the story of Jesus and his arrival on the earth. I mean, right there, as Mary is pregnant, she meets up with her cousin Elizabeth, who has not been able to conceive until right now. And God miraculously gives her her son, John, who will become John the Baptist, the cousin of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lots of miraculous births in Scripture, right? That's just three. But in all of these, we have, even though they're miraculous, this basic formula, mommy, daddy, baby. That's how it works. But in Jesus, we have the miracle above those miracles, that God himself would be the one to place his son inside of a virgin. Here's why it's important that we believe in the virgin birth. Like I said, the virgin birth is central uh, and and, and the beginning, we could even say, of us believing the other miracles that are associated with Jesus. We can't believe that he was born of a virgin, this first miracle. How can we believe that he's able to do all the miracles that that the gospels depict him doing or or that he was able to, to call Lazarus out of the grave or even to raise himself by God's Spirit, as it tells us in Romans eight eleven, to raise himself from death so that we could believe in him and in his power over death and receive from him eternal life. If we can't believe that first miracle, we can't believe the rest. It's like my mom, my mom, my, my nana uh, died at the age of 104, but I, I bet you she knit, I don't know, uh, right, en- enough sweaters for a small country. I mean, she was just that, she was a prolific knitter, died with the needles in her hands, not really, but uh, um, but every, every year, she'd send me a new sweater at Christmas, and I'd have that sweater for that season, uh, you know, where, where it's cold, where I grew up. And, uh, but she, because it was kind of this, you know, handmade thing, the little, the little yarn piece down here, uh, I remember, you know, being a kid and starting to yank on that, and what did my mom tell me? Bro, <laughs> you're not going to have a sweater very long if you keep yanking on that thing. So what did I do? Oh, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> Got it all the way up to here. It was nice. Anyway, uh... Well, that's what happens when you start rejecting pieces of the faith we play spiritual jenga you know that game with the blocks right and we start knocking out little pieces of what we believe. Well, I don't hold to the virgin birth. Well, if I don't hold to the virgin birth, maybe I can't hold to this piece of of the miraculous in Christ. And then I, you know, and, and this this is what happens in theological realms. There's uh, things like the Jesus Seminar that basically walks through the Gospels and says, "I'm going to believe this, but not this." They basically take the Gospel of John, for instance, and they shrink it down to like four pages because all of these other things they just can't believe or won't believe might be a better. And 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 so all of a sudden, we 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 have you know, there's churches in our world right now that. They're preaching Jesus, but not his gospel. They're, they're preaching his existence, but they've watered him down so much that they're not preaching him at all. Are you with me? Maybe some of you came from those churches. It's not always, but often, it's rooted in this unwillingness to accept what we would, as humans, deem unbelievable. Unbelievable. But the virgin birth is miracle one in the life of Christ. And if we knock that out, we start knocking out the other ones and we lose our faith entirely. I think we should also believe in the virgin birth because of the implications of it being a fulfilled prophecy. You know what it says in Isaiah seven fourteen. This is Isaiah some five 600 years before Jesus hits the planet. Um, uh, he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. When, when an angel appears to Mary's betrothed, a guy named Joseph, who is going to divorce her, all right? And by the way, if you're struggling in your marriage right now... Um, <laughs> God was able to keep Joseph and Mary together when Mary uh, was pregnant without Joseph being involved, and they seemed to do just fine. Is everybody with me on that? So by God's grace, I'm not saying, I hope that's not your problem, but uh, uh, (laughs) whatever problems you're facing, God is able to keep things together. I'll pray that he visits you and reminds you of that. But but Joseph was about to uh, divorce his wife. Uh, before he, she even became his wife, uh, and, and, the Mary, or, and the angel said to her, no, 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 you stay with Mary. And he says, because she, just like the angel told Mary, she's going to bear the son of God. And, and in Matthew chapter 1, in this visit of this angel to Joseph, uh, the angel says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And he defines that, which means God with us. Okay. Joseph's in. And some of you are like, okay, yeah, Mark, it was prophesied. But have you ever stopped to, you know, really think about how powerful prophecy is and how amazing it is that God calls his shots hundreds of years before and then they're fulfilled in the telling of the story of our scriptures? That's unbelievable. Like, I'm studying right now on Thursday mornings the book of Daniel with my life group And over and over again, Daniel is is given these different dreams, but they all center around basically the same thing, the the progression of kingdoms moving forward from Babylon until the Roman Empire. And if you read your Western civilization books, it folds out just like it says in Daniel. It's uncanny. Like A lot of the people who uh, find the scriptures to be specious, they're like, well, those had to be written. These, These Old Testament prophets had to be written after these things had happened because it's just too weird that what they're saying Could become this reality, but here's the deal: if if we have a God who is able to call his shots, he should be trusted. Like that's that's just fundamental to life. I I watched this uh, Netflix documentary uh, a few months back about, about Price Is Right. Does anybody remember this show? I grew up watching it back in the days when there was three channels, and you were home from you know school sick. This was what you, what you did at 11 o'clock. Bob Barker came on, and you would watch Price is Right. It's a game show, for those of you unfamiliar with it, and uh, it basically awards you with prizes. If you bid the right numbers for the price of those prizes, essentially that's, that's what the whole show is predicated on. There's this one guy who started watching uh, the uh, Price is Right as a young kid at the age of, uh, I don't know who he was, but it was 1971, and he watched it, taped it when VCRs came out, he just uh, was, was there, and he would study it. He was a math teacher eventually in his life, and so he just loved the numbers, and so he actually put out a spreadsheet for all of the prizes, and he found that there were patterns. Like if a fridge, you know, was up for bid on Tuesday for 750 bucks, guess what? Next Friday, same fridge, same price. And so he says, you know, if I ever get on Prices Right, I'll know all the prices. I'll, I'll, I'll have watched it and studied this, and I'll be able to call, you know, everything, and I'll win everything. And guess what? He gets on, and of course he comes out of, you know, the first round of of bidding, and he he works his way through all the other prizes. He gets to that wheel that they used to spin, and that's what did him in. He couldn't spin it right, and so uh, he had to sit back down. He went 37 times till the price is right. Studied it the whole way, and because he couldn't be on it again, uh, he essentially became the guy who yelled out the prices. ever watched the show? one dollar, you know, that, that's, that's my bit every time, one dollar, anyway, he, he's actually yelling out the correct prizes, correct prices, and they show in this documentary, as people are listening to him over all the other voices, they're winning, and they're starting to figure out, I gotta listen to this guy, and so the show culminates, there's this big showcase showdown at the end of the show. They give you all these different prizes to bid on, and then you have to add it all up in your head and, and come up with what you think is the closest price. So, so he's competing against this other lady who had won on the show, and she bids, and she's the first one to bid, and she bids, and she's $500 away from this $30,000 collection of prizes. She's 500 bucks away. That's, if you haven't watched the show, that's really good. That's going to win most days. But this other dude had listened to this guy who had been taping the show his whole life, and this guy had said $23,743. And the dude on the show bid this weird exact number, $23,743. And Drew Carey, who had taken Bob Barker's place, pulls out the card for this showcase showdown, and it is $23,743. Yep. To the, to the dollar, this guy nails it, wins both showcases. You, my, my favorite part of it is Drew Carey's reaction. $23,743. You win both showcases. And then he looks into the camera, and you can almost see him looking for a producer saying, who tipped this guy off? <laughs> There's no way he knows. But they figured out that this guy was doing it, and it changed how they do prices right forever. Started switching the prizes then, didn't they? Yeah, and I tell you that story because I love it but I also tell you that story because it, I think it proves my point if someone knows, listen like if you go on that show and, and Smarty Pants is sitting in the front row and he's yelling out the right prize numbers <laughs> listen because if you don't, you're going to lose and you're not just going to lose, you're going to lose being a fool because someone has told you the truth has gone ahead and done the work for you and so often, I think people come to the scriptures, and I know they throw the whole thing out so they can discount everything, but, but if it's true, if our Bibles are true, and Isaiah and other prophets are saying hundreds of years before things occur, not things that we're waiting for in our future, but things that have occurred in our history hundreds of years before they're calling it, should we maybe pay a little bit more attention to the God who enables them to do that? The virgin birth was foretold and its worth. Our belief. Can I hit this verse that uh, is quoted here uh, on our screens, Matthew 1, 23, one last time? It says, uh, as he quotes Isaiah 7, uh, the angel tells Joseph, Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can we just put a pin in the sermon for a second and celebrate the fact that God is with us in Christ Isn't that an amazing thing? It's so easy to just, you know, especially as we're churchgoers and Christians for a long time, to just kind of skip right past a lot of the amazing things about our faith. But here's the amazing thing. None of us deserves God to be with us. Everybody gets that, right? None of us is righteous. No, not one, it tells us in Romans. None of us deserves to be friended by God on Facebook or otherwise. None of us deserves to be loved by God. None of us. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ came, was with us, and died for us. I think uh, this is huge for those of you who haven't received Jesus yet. Um, God sees you and he's after you. Like it says in Luke 15 that uh, Jesus, as he's telling the story of the gospel, says um, uh, the gospel's like this good shepherd. I'm I'm the good shepherd and, and I have all these sheep that are in my fold, but there's one that's missing and I leave all that are in the fold for the one who's lost. He tells a story of a woman who's got all these coins, and she drops one, and it rolls somewhere in her house, and she has all these coins, but she turns her house upside down until she finds that last coin, and then when she does, she rejoices and invites everybody in for a party. He says, that's the kingdom. That's, that's what this is about. It's about God coming and finding you who are lost. You, as it tells us in Psalm 40, uh, who are uh, waiting patiently for the Lord, for him to incline and hear your cry so he can pick you up out of the pit, out of the mire and the clay and the muck that is your sin in your life. Uh, I just want to pause for a second and make sure that we're clear that there is a God who exists, who loves us, who made us, and even when we said no to him, he said yes to us in Christ. And he sent Jesus to be God with us. Now, the last part of the line that I wanna cover there, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, but the first part of it says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We're gonna talk about this again, like I said, in the next few weeks, uh, but here we're gonna cover these first two things and make sure we got those clear. Jesus is God's Son, the Creed says, and therefore he's God, and then Jesus is Lord. This is our gospel, our good news. It hinges on these statements that Jesus is God and Jesus is Lord. If you believe that, um, you're either a Christian already or you're well on your way. Because this is what we hold to. <laughs> Yet so many people hear this over and over again and never make that leap of belief. They believe Jesus existed. That It's fine that he's the, the, the centerpiece of, a, of a, a worldwide religion or faith. Now, he was probably a good teacher, but he just wasn't God, at least not to me. And he's certainly not gonna be my Lord. Uh, Jesus, in his time uh, here on earth, was wondering uh, where people were in their thinking as it came to him. And and so uh, we have an account of his discussion with some of his friends on the way to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in the Mark uh, version of it, it says this, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? What's going on out there? It's a question that everybody since Christ has had to answer. Who do we say that he is? Who is Jesus? In the Matthew version of this account, Jesus gives us a little tip, even as he asks the question. Look what it says in Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So that's a little different from Mark, right? In Mark, it's just who people say I am. But here, he's careful to give himself like a, a, a nickname, a moniker. Who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, to be fair, in, in, in this period of history in, in Israel, this... This Greek phrase was like an idiom. It was like dude. Who who do people say this dude is? You know, uh, it it could have been just one of those kind of figures of speech that Jesus was using. But I don't believe it is. If if you read the rest of the Bible, this phrase, Son of Man, occurs in this form almost 200 times in the Old and New Testaments. In Matthew uh, itself, just this one book, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 29 times. I think he's going beyond dude here. That's why it's capitalized in this translation, the English Standard Translation. Who who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's he's trying to lead the witness. He's asking a question, and the answer is embedded in the question he asks. Right? It's like a a girl who just got engaged, and uh, you don't know that she's gotten engaged, but she doesn't want to just come right out and say, I got engaged. She wants you to guess. And so she asks you a question as... She holds her ring finger up by her face. Notice anything different? <laughs> I object, Your Honor. She's leading the witness. Yeah. No, she's just setting t- set it up for you on a T. Yeah, oh, did you get engaged? How'd you know? <laughs> Jesus is kind of doing that. He's saying, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And then when he says that, listen. His, his disciples, good Jewish boys, right? They grew up reading the prophets. They had, they had understood this phrase, son of man, to be w- what it really is in the scriptures. And so they would go to places like uh, Daniel chapter seven, where as Daniel's having this dream, uh, he says, I saw the night uh, visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one, like, uh, say it with me, son of man. No, he didn't say it with me, but that's okay. I don't have time. And he came to the ancient of days. Well, who's the ancient of days? Well, that's God the Father. So God the Son meets God the Father, and he was presented before him, and and to him was given. This is how we know this is God the Son, because in other parts of Scripture, this is how Jesus is described. He's a world ruler, a world leader, a world savior. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, not just any kingdom, but a kingdom that had all peoples and nations and languages in it, that, that they should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's not just gonna last for four years and we're up for re-election. It's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now read your history books. Every kingdom comes to an end or at least transitions into a next, right? I mean, we love our country. I pray we're here for a long time. But is it a sure thing? Nope. Nope. But there is one king who is king of all kings and king of all kingdoms, who is the ruler of all tribes and tongues and nations. He is Jesus. He is the son of man. And so when Jesus says, hey, who is it that they say the son of man is? He's already told them who he is. Jesus is the son of man. But the disciples, they offer up some answers uh, (laughs) that are not. Uh, really who Jesus is. They say in verse 14 of Matthew 16, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah or Je- Jeremiah or one of the prophets. These are all dead men. John the Baptist has been executed earlier in Jesus' life. And so uh, uh, the story on the street was, well, maybe you're one of these great Jewish men come back to life. You're a prophet who has come back to life and is who is he, uh, here. Now, they, they don't say Messiah because I think a lot of the disciples even uh, aren't thinking that Jesus is the Messiah. He's cool. He's able to do amazing things, but the Messiah they were expecting was a, a conqueror, a general, someone who would, you know, ride in on a white horse and, and you know, emancipate them like Moses did in, in, in Egypt. He would, he would come and free them from the Romans. That's, that's who they're waiting for. So you're something, but you're not the Christ. But then Peter, A for the day, Peter messes up a bunch, but he nails it here. He says, you are the Christ after Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ means that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus, that's what Christ means. It's, it's, it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew meshiach, which is Messiah, which means anointed one. And so in the, in the Old Testament, three offices get anointed, prophets, priests, and kings. Those were the anointed in the Jewish culture. And Jesus, just so you know, is the perfect prophet. He's the perfect priest. And he's our king of kings. Peter nails it. He says, you're the Messiah. You're, 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 you're the, the one who is going to be our Lord as our prophet, priest, and king. But then he says this. He says, you're not just the Christ. You're the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. You're the, you're the living God, it says. As Peter reports to Jesus. You know, I love uh, John's gospel because it opens with uh, something different than the other uh, gospel accounts. And in Matthew and Luke especially, it starts with Christmas. We get the birth of Jesus. In Mark, it starts a little bit later in his life. But but in John, it starts with theology. It starts with who Jesus is. Uh, John's name for Jesus in his his first chapter is Jesus is the Word. He's Logos. And in in the beginning, he says... Uh, Just like the whole book starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Uh, John starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, but he wasn't just second to God, Jesus was and is and will always be God, John says. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him, John says, and without him was not anything made that was made and in him was and is life and the life was and is the light of men and his light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Thanks, John. Thanks for showing us that Jesus is God. And so... I end our service today asking you the same thing that Jesus asked of his friends. Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Now, if you're here this morning and you have not yet met Jesus, I would love for today to be the day that you do. For you to understand beyond him just being the subject of a religion that he's God, he's Lord, he's come so that he might pull you out of your mire and your muck and give you life anew. I'm going to stand right down here as we sing our last song. And if you want to come talk to me about knowing Jesus, I would love to share his good news with you. Now, a lot of you I know are sitting here and you already know him. You're like, thanks, Mark, for the review. Good stuff. Appreciate that, Pastor. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if you're like me. And sometimes in your life with Jesus, you forget who he is. You get all... Uh, caught up, forest for the trees, right? Just everything that's going on, you're just kind of punching the clock and doing the routine of your Christian life. And you've just forgotten who he is, that he is God and he is Lord and that he deserves every area of your life. You've, you've like Adam and Eve wandered off into your own thinking and you've failed to give him your best. I was listening to a a podcast on movies the other day and they, they did this whole review of the Dead Poet Society. Does anybody remember this movie? It's a Robin Williams 1989 film. He's a teacher in a boarding school somewhere in the New England area and, and he's got all these young guys that are in this literature class who are you know, basically just being taught English lit as if it's math. And he says, you know, he starts ripping pages out of textbooks. And he says, no, we're going to look at this differently. And he actually invites them. And the last scene of the movie, one of my favorite scenes in all of movies, is, uh, you know, he, he, his, his students, after he's been fired, watch the movie. Uh, he, he's walking out of the classroom for the last time, and his students start standing on their desk and saying, oh, Captain, Mike," Cap, They're quoting a Walt Whitman poem. And, and they're basically saying, we're with you, even though we live in this oppressive world of this private school, but that, that whole scene, if, if you haven't seen the movie, it, it, it comes from a previous scene. He's, he's, he's teaching one day and he's saying to these students who have been so used to seeing life and, 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 and doing life in one way, he says, you know, you got you to gotta get a, above and beyond. And so he invites them to all come to the front of his, office, or of, his, of his classroom and he invites them to stand up on his desk and to just look at the classroom from there because it looks different from up here. And one by one, these 17-year-old kids just, you know, step up on these desks in their, you know, Ivy suits and ties, and they, they get this view. And and here's why I bring it up. I'm not preaching Dead Poet Society, but I am preaching a different view. A different view of the Jesus that you've called God and that you've called Lord. If you haven't seen Him with fresh eyes lately, it's time to take a peek, because He's amazing, and He's worthy of all of our lives, everything in our lives. And so all the struggles that we talk about as Darnisha leads us in worship and we, and we you know, thank God for his rescue and, we, and, and as, I, as I preach to you, we talk about his might and his power. We need to see that so that we can live in light of that. Now, I was gonna ask you guys, I did actually last night to get up on your chairs. I think OSHA would have a problem with that. But here's what I am gonna ask you. If it's been a while since you've seen Jesus for who he really is in your life, I'm going to ask you this morning to just kneel as we sing this last song. Just wherever you are, just kneel. Just bow your head. We sang that earlier, right? Every knee shall bow. Yeah, let's let's start. And let's see Jesus in ways that maybe we haven't. Appreciate him. And leave here living for him. Because Jesus is the center of it all. If you want to meet him, I'll be right there.